Welcome to Prose and Context, a podcast about life-giving teaching by the English Department at Lexington Christian Academy. Hello, my name is um, Rebecca Lafroy, and I'm going to be talking um, today about Shakespeare. Um, I am a 7th, 8th and ninth grade English teacher at um, Lexington Christian Academy. I moved from England um, just under a year ago and Shakespeare has always been one of my favourite authors to teach and I think that um, his language is wonderful, his characters are fantastic, um, his plots are gripping Um, And the variety and um, quantity of plays um, that he wrote is truly astounding. But one of the aspects of his plays that I think is really neglected is his use of setting. And so I'm going to use this podcast to argue that um, Shakespeare's settings are integral to his play. Now, one of the reasons I think we neglect Um, teaching about Shakespeare's setting, is that we're not given very much information on them. He gives very few stage directions, very little description of setting. Um, And inevitably, um, Elizabethan uh, stage sets played on our um, suspension of disbelief. So uh, we're not given much information about them. There's much more we can say and unpick about his language, or at least it seems that way at first glance. However, I think that his use of setting is fundamental to his plays. And I'm going to be using um, Othello as an example. Um, And I want to encourage teachers to use setting and have discussions around his use of setting um, in their teaching of Shakespeare. I'm going to um, begin by talking about um, why setting is important as we move between Act 1 and Act 2 in Shakespeare's Othello, um, as we move from Venice in northern Italy in Act 1 to Cyprus, an island in the eastern Mediterranean 40 miles south of present-day Turkey in Act 2. Um, Secondly, I'm going to be talking about um, his use of the private and the public and the significance of the public entering into the private and the interplay between the two. So firstly, the move from Act 1 to Act 2, from Venice to Cyprus. Now, um, to Jacobean audiences, Venice represented new money. Um, It was successfully challenging old European um, feudal powers. It had one eye on the Christian West and one eye on the Islamic East. And many referred to it as the whore of the Adriatic. Um, now, that that phrase, the whore of the Adri- Adriatic, um, that was used for kind of environmental reasons. So it had many ships coming and going. Ports were very important in, in Venice. Um, and it was also very polluted. It was very corrupt, um, very polluted. But that's also um, that phrase is also symbolic of um, the strong um, courtesan presence, the courtesan class um, present in Venice at that time. It was a walled city, 
And so there were clearly defined boundaries when you entered the city and when you exited the city. Now let's think about um, the significance of all that. Well, Desdemona is confined. She's confined at the beginning of the play. She steps away from this and she elopes and her and Othello um, go from Venice to Cyprus. She's confined within this walled city and she escapes from that. Um, Now the scene at the end of Act 1 where Brabantio accuses um, Othello of stealing his daughter um, is a dramatic and important uh, kind of relational moment. However, very quickly the action turns back to focusing and talking about political events um, and the war. Um, So Venice is is very much um, in this play, the focus is on um, political um, discourse um, rather than um, relational conversations about relationships and that changes when we move to Cyprus. Now the fact that Desdemona comes from Venice um, already um, kind of raises in in Jacobean audiences minds this idea this question of sexual loyalty immediately that's that's kind of put under question even in the backs of people's minds. Um, so that makes Iago's uh, conviction um, and uh, lies even more convincing. Um, now Ludovico, uh, he comes from Venice and he enters Cyprus towards the end of the play. Um, and he represents the kind of um, political and military authority of Venice. However, in Cyprus, this is seen as useless Um He's weak. He's too late to save Desdemona. Um, And when they all enter at the end, they are too late to save Desdemona. So this kind of this power, political power, um, uh, represented in Venice, represented by the characters of Venice, actually lets Desdemona down, particularly in her relationship with Othello. Now, Cyprus... um, was the gateway to the exotic east. It's an island, there are olives, grapes, grains um, are made and grown. It's, it's, it was seen as the midway between civilization and barbarianism. And we can see there a parallel with Othello. Um, in um, Cyprus, he's, he's not so foreign, but he's also not totally secure. Um, he's viewed kind of midway between civilized and barbarian by the other characters and Iago of course um, plays up that barbarian aspect to his character plays on that stereotype it's a hot place heat of course causes tension it's foreign um, and it's open it's an island it's not walled so it's an open space into the sea so the boundaries are unclear and they're fluid um And this allows um, Othello's insecurities about himself and Desdemona to develop. He's he's come away from um, very structured Venice. Now, on this island, the Venetians are outsiders, they're foreigners, but they're also in control. Um, It's also an isolated environment. It's an island surrounded by sea. Um, So this is the perfect place for insecurities and manipulation to develop. Um, 
It's presented as a hostile environment um, in contrast to civilised Venice. And of course, uh, Cyprus is where um, Othello's great downfall happens in a less structured, more fluid, hot, hostile foreign environment. Now, the, the movement between those two places is really significant. There's a storm now, this storm could be seen as a plot device. It allows Shakespeare to get rid of the Turkish fleet, which means that Othello um, returns safely. He comes, he enters safely, and he's a hero. It puts him on that kind of pedestal that's so important um, for a tragic hero in order for them to have their tragic fall. Um, it also allows us to focus on um, the relationships between the characters rather than the um, politics and the war. Um, it could also be seen as um, being used for dramatic effect. A storm is symbolic, of course, of chaos. Um, and, and so foreshadows, in a way, the chaos that is going to arrive in Cyprus. It's also symbolic. Um, it's difficult to see in a storm. Storms cloud our, visions, our vision. And the ability to see clearly or not is very important in Othello as Iago manipulates Othello's sight um, and he sees things which are not true um, and his, he begins to um, think and act in an irrational and unclear way because he's not seeing correctly and rightly and truthfully. Secondly, I'm going to be talking about the private and the public and the interplay between the two. Um, this is a very common interplay in Shakespearean plays. He uses um, this a lot. Now, the opening of the play, um, Act 1, Scene 1, begins in the middle of the action. Um, we're in a street and um, we've got, we, we enter into this conversation. Um, and um, it's a conversation which takes place between uh, Iago and his kind of right-hand man, Rodrigo. Rodrigo says, Tush, never tell me. I take it much unkindly that thou, Iago, who hast had my purse, as if the strings were thine, shouldst know of this. Immediately our suspicion is aroused. Um, what is this? Should know of this? What is this? Um, we ask. Um, we're in Venice, where authority is important. And we learn that Iago um, feels slighted by Cassio's appointment, um, which he feels that he should have got. And um, that's because of the kind of authority structures um, that take place. He feels as though he's been wronged. And it's night. It's night. Um, we're not told this, but we can assume this because later in the scene, he wakes Brabantio up. So it's a dark, secretive place um, where our suspicions are aroused. And it suggests we're coming in um, on a secret um, furthermore, it allows our relationship with Iago to develop. And Shakespeare is very clever here because throughout the play, we actually get to know Iago better than we get to know Othello. And there's the kind of, um, it, it, it's unsettling as we watch this play and develop this relationship with Iago, who through his soliloquies, his, his frequent ones in comparison to Othello, speaks directly to us. So we develop this slightly twisted relationship with Iago which makes us feel uncomfortable but we also want to know more 
And this privacy of it, of it being in a street, a walled street, allows us to see Iago's motives. Um, and so we already see Iago um, talking about his manipulation before we even meet Othello. So when we meet the great hero Othello, um, we see very clearly his fated downfall, um, very typical of um, a, a tragic play um, and plays based on um, Greek tragedies and the structure of Greek tragedies as, as Shakespeare often did. Um, it's night, so again, once again, this um, motif of sight um, is, is brought into the picture um, and there's a sense of secrecy. Now, in Act 1, Scene 3, we enter into the public space of the court scene. Um, Brabantio is appealing to the Duke um, as he believes his daughter has been stolen from Othello. We're in the law courts, a very public place, very different um, to Act 1, Scene 1. And here Othello gives his beautiful musical, as it's often termed, um, speech where he defends his innocence and defends his real and authentic romance with Desdemona. And he is um, personal, he's open, he's honest, and he's fluent. And he is being challenged publicly about his private relationship. And he's becoming vulnerable as he opens up to the public about this private relationship. And that's in real contrast to Iago, who um, in Act 1, Scene 1 is very secretive and remains private throughout the rest of the play, in contrast um, to Othello. Um, now, in Act 5, Scene 2, um, we see the, the private and the public mix once again. There are lots of examples of this throughout the play, um, but, but this is a very important one. We're in the private bedroom of Desdemona, and Desdemona has been killed by Othello, um, the public world enters, the people from Venice and from Cyprus enter, and the crimes of Iago are exposed. We're in such an intimately private place. We're in the bed, the marriage bed, um, where Othello has destroyed, ended their relationship by killing Desdemona, and the public world enters. Um, and we see here how um, the public world has failed Desdemona. Um, this masculine-dominated world, this male-dominated world, has failed to listen to her. Um, and so um, the private workings of Iago are exposed. Um, it's, there are so many things we could say about the interplay between public and private in this scene, but um, one thing that's drawn out is how um, Othello has let the outsiders, the public, manipulate his view of Desdemona in this very private marriage relationship. Um, the public world has entered into and destroyed um, his private relationship with his wife. Um, so the, the public is made private and the private is made public um, in, in really interesting ways. Now, I could talk for a very long time about um, setting an Othello. There is lots more that could be said. But I just wanted to use that as an example to show how um, thematic and char important character elements are not only emphasised, but they're advanced through the use of setting. And so although Shakespeare does not say much um, about setting 
in his plays it's really important when he does or or when things can be inferred like it's at night because someone is awoken that we think about the significance of that um, and that we use that in our teaching and don't brush over that in our teaching so that's what I'd like the thought I'd like to leave you with today um, I'd like to give credit to um, the introduction of the Arden Shakespeare um, version of Othello, which has lots more to say on the use of setting. And I would really recommend that, particularly if you're teaching um, or learning about Othello. Um, if you have any questions, feel free um, to get in contact with me at rebecca.lafroy at lca.edu. And if you're teaching Shakespeare, I hope you have a wonderful time studying um, one of the world's most brilliant playwrights. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Prose and Context, a podcast for life-giving teaching by the English Department at Lexington Christian Academy. Please subscribe to our podcast and come back again next week.